Chapter 12 Rules for Contentment I proceed now to give some guidance to show Christians how they may attain this divine art of contentment. Certainly it is feasible. Other saints of God have reached it. Paul had it, and so did those we read of in that little book of martyrs who were cruelly mocked and scourged, were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, and wandered about in deserts and caves, yet were content. Hebrews 11. Contentment is possible to be had, and here I will set down some rules for holy contentment. Rule 1. Elevate your faith. All our anxiety comes directly from unbelief. It is this that raises the storm of discontent in the heart. Oh, set faith at work! A characteristic of faith is that it will silence our doubt, scatter our fears, and still the heart when passions are up. Faith works the heart into a sweet, serene composure. It is not having food and clothing that will make us content, but having faith. Faith chides down passion. When reason begins to sink, let faith swim. How does faith work contentment? 1. Faith shows the soul that no matter what its trials are, they are from the hand of a father. It is indeed a bitter cup, but the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? It is given in love to my soul. God corrects me with the same love that he crowns me. God is now training me for heaven. He carves me to make me a polished column. These sufferings bring forth patience, humility, and even the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Hebrews 12:11. And if God can bring such sweet fruit out of our stock, let him graft me where he pleases. This is how faith brings the heart to holy contentment. And two, Faith sucks the honey of contentment out of the hive of the promise. Christ is the vine. The promises are the clusters of grapes that grow on this vine, and faith presses the sweet wine of contentment out of these spiritual clusters of the promises. I will show you just one cluster. The Lord will give grace and glory. Psalm 84:11. This is enough for faith to live on. The promise is the flower out of which faith distills the spirits and manifestation of divine contentment. In a word, faith carries up the soul and makes it aspire to more generous and noble delights than the earth affords, and to live in the world above the world. Do you desire to live contented lives? Live up to the height of your faith. Rule 2. Labor for Assurance Oh, let us get the interest cleared between God and our souls. Interest is a common word these days. It's a pleasing word. Interest in great friends, interest from money. Oh, if there is an interest worth looking after, it is an interest between God and the soul. Strive to say, My God. To be without money, without friends, and also without God is sad. But he whose faith flourishes into assurance, who can say, I know whom I have believed, 2 Timothy 1, 12, and that man has enough to give his heart contentment. When a person's debts are paid, and he can go abroad without fear of being arrested, what contentment this is! Let your title be cleared. If God is ours, whatever we lack in the creature is infinitely made up in Him. 
Do I lack bread? I have Christ, the bread of life. Am I corrupted and defiled? His blood is like the trees of the sanctuary. They are not only for meat, but also for medicine. Ezekiel 47, 12. If anything in the world is worth laboring for, it is to get sound evidence that God is ours. Once this is settled, what can go wrong? It doesn't matter what storms I meet with if I know where to put in for harbor. He who has God to be his God is so content with his condition that he doesn't much care whether he has anything else. To rest in a condition where a Christian cannot say God is his God is a matter of fear. If he can say so, truly, but yet is not content, it is a matter of shame. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 1 Samuel 30, 6. David was sad. Ziklag was burned, his wives taken captive, his all lost, and he likely lost his soldiers' hearts too, for they spoke of stoning him. Yet he had the ground of contentment within him, an interest in God, and this was a pillar of support to his spirit. He who knows God is his, and all that is in God is for his good, if this does not satisfy, I know nothing that will. Rule 3. Get a humble spirit. The humble man is the contented man. If his state is low, his heart will be lower than his state, and will therefore be content. If his esteem in the world is low, he who is little in his own eyes will not be troubled much to be little in the eyes of others. He has a more modest opinion of himself than others can have of him. The humble man studies his own unworthiness. He looks on himself as not worthy of the least of all the mercies. Genesis 32:10. Then a little will be enough to content him. He cries out with Paul that he is the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1:15. Therefore he does not murmur, but instead admires. He does not say his comforts are small. He says his sins are great. He thinks it is mercy that he is out of hell. Therefore, he is content. He does not go and try to carve out a better condition for himself. He knows the worst piece God cuts for him is better than he deserves. A proud man is never content. He is one who has a high opinion of himself, so under small blessings he is disdainful, and under small crosses impatient. The humble spirit is the content spirit. If his cross is light, he counts it in the list of his mercies. If it is heavy, he bears it on his knees, knowing that when his estate is worse, it is to make him better. Where you lay humility for the foundation, contentment will be the building. Rule 4. Keep a clear conscience. Contentment is the manna that is stored in the ark of a good conscience. Be careful not to indulge any sin. It is as natural for guilt to breed discontent as it is for putrid matter to breed vermin. Sin lies as Jonah in the ship. It raises a tempest. If dust or motes get into the eye, they make the eye water and cause it to be sore. If the eye is clear, then it is free from that soreness. If sin is in the conscience, the eye of the soul, then grief and anxiety breed there. Keep the eye of conscience clear and all will be well. What Solomon said of a good stomach, I may say of a good conscience. To the hungry soul, 
Every bitter thing is sweet. Proverbs 27, 7. To a good conscience, every bitter thing is sweet. It can pick contentment out of the cross. A good conscience turns the bitter waters of Mara into wine. Do you desire a quiet heart? Get a smiling conscience. I'm not surprised to hear Paul say he was in every state content when he could make that triumph, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Acts 23, 1. When your conscience is clear, it must let an abundance of contentment into the heart. Good conscience can suck contentment out of the most bitter drug. Under slander, our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. 2 Corinthians 1.12. In case of imprisonment, Paul had his prison songs and could play the sweet lessons of contentment when his feet were in the stocks. Acts 16.25. Augustine referred to it as the paradise of a good conscience. If it be so, then in prison we may be in paradise. When the times are troubled, a good conscience makes calm. If your conscience is clear, What difference does it make if the days are cloudy? Is it not contentment to have a friend always near to speak a good word for us? Such a friend is conscience. A good conscience, like David's harp, drives away the evil spirit of discontent. When thoughts begin to arise and the heart is anxious, conscience says to a person, as the king did to Nehemiah, Why is thy countenance sad? Nehemiah 2, 2. Conscience asks, Do you have the seed of God in you? Are you not an heir of the promise? Do you not have a treasure that can never be plundered? Why is your countenance sad? Keep your conscience clear, and you will never lack contentment. For a man to keep the pipes of his body, the veins and arteries, free from obstruction, is the best way to maintain health. So, to keep your conscience clear, and to preserve it from the obstruction of guilt, is the best way to maintain contentment. First, conscience is pure, and then peaceable. Rule 5. Learn to deny yourselves. Be careful to look after your affections and desires. Bridle them in. Do two things. Mortify your desires and moderate your delights. 1. Mortify your desires. We must not have the same temper as the dragon, who they say is so thirsty that no water will quench his thirst. Mortify, therefore, your inordinate affection. Colossians 3, 5. In the Greek, it is your evil affection, to show that our desires, when they are inordinate, are evil. Crucify your desires. Be as dead men. A dead man has no appetite. How should a Christian martyr his desires? First, get a correct judgment of the things here below. They are shabby, valueless things. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Proverbs 23, 5. The appetite must be guided by reason, and the affections are the feet of the soul. Therefore, they must follow the judgment, not lead it. Second, meditate seriously and often on mortality. Death will soon crop these flowers that we delight in and pull down the fabric of those bodies that we so adorn and beautify. Think while you are counting the money in your chest who will soon lock you up in your coffin.
and two, moderate your delights. Do not set your heart too much on any creature. Psalm 62.10 What we over-love, we will over-grieve. Rachel set her heart too much on her children, and when she had lost them, she lost herself, too. The vein of grief that was opened could not be stopped. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted. Here was discontent. If we let any creature lie too close to our heart, when God pulls away that comfort, a piece of our heart is torn away with it. Too much fondness ends in disobedience. Those who desire to be content in the lack of mercies must be moderate in the enjoyment of them. Be careful not to surround yourselves in pleasure. It's better to have a sparse diet than by having too much to overindulge. Rule 6. Get much of heaven into your heart. Spiritual things satisfy. The more heaven that is in us, the less earth will content us. Those who have tasted the love of God have their thirst quenched toward earthly things. Psalm 63, 5. The joys of God's Spirit are joys that fill and cheer the heart. Those who have these have heaven begun in them. Romans 14, 17. Will we not be content to be in heaven? Get a sublime heart. Seek those things which are above. Colossians 3, 1. Fly high in your affections. Thirst for the graces and comforts of the Spirit. The eagle that flies above in the air does not fear the sting of the serpent. The serpent creeps on his belly and stings only creatures that walk on the earth. Discontent is a serpent that can only sting an earthly heart. A heavenly soul that, with the eagle, flies high, finds enough in God to give contentment and is not stung by the cares and discontent of the world. Rule 7. Do not look so much on the dark side of your condition as on the light side. God varies His providences, white and black, as the pillar of the cloud had its light side and its dark side. Look on the light side of the condition. Who looks on the back side of a landscape? Suppose you have a lawsuit brought against you. There is the dark side. Yet you have some land left. There is the light side. You have sickness in your body. There is the dark side. But you have grace in your soul. There is the light side. You have a child taken away. There is the dark side. Your husband lives. There is the light side. God's providences in this life are variously represented by those speckled horses among the myrtle trees that were red and white. Zechariah 1 8. Mercies and afflictions are interwoven. God speckles his work. One says, I don't have that kind of comfort. But weigh all your mercies in the balance, and that will make you content. If a man was missing a finger, would he be so discontent by the loss of that so as not to be thankful for all the other parts and joints of his body? Look on the light side of your condition, and then all your discontent will easily disband. Don't ponder on your losses. Ponder on your mercies. What? Would you have no cross at all? Why should one man think to have only good things when he himself is good only in part? You, who have so much evil in you, would have no evil about you? You are not fully sanctified in this life. How do you then think to be fully satisfied? 
Never look for perfection of contentment until there is perfection of grace. Rule 8. Consider in what condition we stand here in the world. 1. We are in a military condition. We are soldiers. 2 Timothy 2.3. A soldier is content with anything. Even though he doesn't have his stately house, his rich furniture, his soft bed, and his full table, he does not complain. He can lie on straw as well as on down. He doesn't think about his lodging, but his thoughts run to dividing the spoil and the garland of honor that will be set upon his head. For hope of this, he is content to run any hazard and endure any hardship. It would be absurd to hear him complain that he lacks certain provisions and doesn't want to lie out in the fields. A Christian is a military person. He fights the Lord's battles. He is Christ's ensign-bearer. Even though he endures hard fate and the bullets fly around, he fights for a crown and therefore must be content. 2. We are in an alien condition. We are pilgrims and travelers. A man who is in a strange country is content with any diet or provisions. He is glad for anything. Though he does not have the respect or service that he looks for at home, nor is he able to hold the privileges and immunities of that place, he is content. He knows when he comes into his own country, he has lands to inherit, and there he will have honor and respect. So it is with a child of God. He is in a pilgrim condition. I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Psalm 39, 12. Therefore, Christian, be content. You are in the world, but not of the world. You are born of God and are a citizen of the new Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 22. Therefore, even though we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, 1 Corinthians 4, 11, we must be content. It will be better when we come into our own country. And three, we are in a beggarly condition. We are poor beggars. We beg at heaven's gate, give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. We live on God's charity, therefore we must be content with anything. A beggar must not pick and choose, he is content with the refuse. O oh, you who are beggars and are fed from the alms basket of God's providence, why do you complain? Rule 9. Do not let your hope depend on these outward things. Don't lean on sandy pillars. We often build our comfort on a friend or an estate, and when that prop is removed, all our joy is gone and our hearts begin either to fail or fret. A lame man leans on his crutches, and if they break, he is undone. Don't let your contentment go on crutches, which may soon fail. The ground of contentment must be within your heart. The Greek word that is used for contentment signifies self-sufficiency. A Christian has within what is able to support him, the strength of faith and good hope through grace that bears up his heart in the deficiency of outward comforts. When their estates were gone, the philosophers of old could take contentment in the goods of the mind, learning, and virtue. Should not a believer much more find contentment in the graces of the Spirit, that rich enamel and embroidery of the soul? Say to yourself, If friends leave me, if riches take wings, 
I still have within that which comforts me, a heavenly treasure. When the blossoms of my estate are blown off, still there is the sap of contentment in the root of my heart. I still have an interest in God, and that interest cannot be broken off. Oh, never place your happiness in these dull and beggarly things here below. Rule 10. Compare your condition often. We need to compare our condition in five ways. Comparison 1. We need to compare our condition with what we deserve. If we don't have what we desire, we still have more than we deserve. For our mercies, we deserve less. For our afflictions, we deserve more. First, in regard to our mercies, we deserve less. What can we deserve? Can man be profitable to the Almighty? We live on free grace. Alexander gave a great gift to one of his subjects. Liking the gift very much, the man said, This is more than I am worthy of. I do not give you this, said the king, because you are worthy of it, but I give a gift like Alexander. Whatever we have is not merit, but bounty. The least bit of bread is more than God owes us. We can bring kindling to our own burning, but not one flower to the garland of our salvation. He who has the least mercy will still die in God's debt. Second, regarding our afflictions, we deserve more. Thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Ezra 9.13 Is our condition sad? We deserve it. It should be worse. Has God taken away our estate from us? He might have taken away Christ from us. Has He thrown us into prison? He might have thrown us into hell. He might as well damn us as whip us. This should make us content. Comparison 2 To compare our condition to that of others will make us content. We look at those who are above us. Let us look at those who are below us. We can see one in his silks, another in his sackcloth. One has the waters of a full cup wrung out to him, another is mingling his drink with tears. How many pale faces do we see that have been wasted away not by sickness but by poverty? Think of this and be content. It's worse with them who perhaps deserve better than us and are higher in God's favor. Am I in prison? Was not Daniel in a worse place? He was in the lion's den. Do I live in a crude cottage? Look at those who are banished from their houses. We read of the early saints, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Hebrews 11, 37-38 Do you have a small fever? Look on those who are tormented with much worse diseases. Others of God's children have had greater afflictions and have borne them better than we do. Daniel ate beans and drank water, yet he was fairer than those who ate of the king's portion. Daniel 1.15 Some Christians who have been in a lower condition, who have eaten only beans and water, have looked better and been more patient and contented than we who enjoy abundance. Do others rejoice in affliction, but we complain? Can they take up their cross and walk cheerfully under it, but we murmur under a lighter cross? Comparison 3. Compare your condition with Christ's on the earth. What a poor, common condition He was pleased to be in for us. 
he was content with anything. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He could have brought down a house from heaven with him, or challenged the high places of the earth, but he was content to be in the winepress so that we might be in the wine cellar, and to live poor so that we might be rich. The manger was his cradle, the cobwebs his canopy. He who is now preparing mansions for us in heaven had none for himself on earth. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Matthew 8.20. Christ came in the form of a pauper. Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, took upon him the form of a servant. Philippians 2.5-7. We do not read of any sums of money. He had. When he wanted money, he was pleased to work a miracle for it. Matthew 17.27. Jesus Christ was in a low condition. He was never in a high position, except when he was lifted up on the cross, and that was his humility. He was content to live poor and die cursed. Oh, compare your condition with Christ's! Comparison number four. If we compare our condition to what it once was, this will make us content. First, let us compare our spiritual state with what it once was. What were we when we lay in our blood? We were heirs apparent to hell, having no right to pluck one leaf from the tree of promise. It was a Christless and hopeless condition. Ephesians 2.12 But now God has cut off the accompanying hell and damnation. He has taken you out of the wild olive of nature and grafted you into Christ, making you living branches of that living vine. He has not only caused the light to shine on you, but also in you. 2 Corinthians 4.6 and has given you an interest in all the privileges of sonship. Is this not enough to make the soul content? And second, let us compare our earthly estate with what it once was. We had nothing when we stepped out of the womb. We brought nothing into this world. 1 Timothy 6-7 If we don't have that which we desire, we still have more than we brought with us. We brought nothing with us but sin. Other creatures bring something with them into the world. The lamb brings wool, and the silkworm brings silk. But we brought nothing with us. What does it matter if our present condition is low? It's better than it once was. Therefore, since we have food and clothing, let us be content. Whatever we have, God's providence brings it to us. And if we lose everything, we will still have as much as we brought with us. This was what made Job content. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Job 1.21 It was as if he had said, Though God has taken away everything from me, why should I murmur? I am as rich as I was when I came into the world. I have as much left as I brought with me. I came here naked, therefore blessed be the name of the Lord. And comparison number five, we need to compare our condition with what it will be soon. There is a time coming soon when, if we had all the riches of India, they would do us no good. We must die and can take nothing with us. The apostle said, It is certain we can carry nothing out. 1 Timothy 6.7 Therefore, he continues, Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. 1 Timothy 6.8 Open the rich man's grave, and see what's there. 
You may find the miser's bones, but not his riches, says Bede. Were we to live forever, here, or if we could carry our riches into another world, then indeed we might be discontent when we look on our empty bags. But it's not so. God may soon seal a warrant for death to apprehend us, and when we die we cannot carry our position or possessions with us. Honor and riches descend not into the grave. Why then are we troubled by our outward condition? Why do we disguise ourselves with discontent? Store up a stock of grace. Be rich in faith and good works. These riches will follow us. Revelation 14, 13. Grace is the only currency that will be accepted in heaven. Silver and gold will not go there. Labor to be rich toward God. Don't be full of desire for other things. We will carry nothing with us. Rule 11. Don't bring your condition to your mind, bring your mind to your condition. The way for a Christian to be content is not by raising his estate higher, but by bringing his spirit lower, not by making his barns wider, but by making his heart narrower. One man will not be content with a whole lordship or manor. Another is satisfied with a few acres of land. What is the difference? The one desires to satisfy curiosity, the other is content with the necessities. The one thinks what he may have, the other what he may spare. Rule 12. Study the vanity and emptiness of the creature. It doesn't matter whether we have less or more of these things. They have vanity written on their covers. The world is like a shadow that declines. It's delightful, but deceitful. It promises more than we find, and it fails us when we have the most need of it. All the world rings change, and is constant only in its disappointments. So what does it matter, then, if we have less of that which is, at best, voluble and fluid? The world is as full of mutation as motion. So what if God cuts us short in worldly things? The more a person has to do with the world, the more he has to do with vanity. The world may be compared to ice, which is smooth but slippery, or to the Egyptian temples, which are outwardly very beautiful and sumptuous, but inwardly there is nothing to be seen but the image of an ape. Concerning satisfaction, every creature says, It's not in me. The world is not a filling comfort, but a flying comfort. It's like a game of tennis. Providence bandies her golden balls first to one, then to another. Why are we discontent at the loss of these things? It's because we expect from them that which is not there, and deposit in them what we should not. Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Jonah 4, 6. What a vain thing it was! Is it an extraordinary thing to see a withering gourd struck, or to see the moon dressing itself in a new shape and figure? Rule 13. Regulate your imagination. It is desire and imagination that raises the price of things above their real worth. What is the reason one tulip is worth five dollars, and another one is perhaps worth not one nickel? Desire raises the price. The difference is more imaginary than real. Why should it be better to have thousands than hundreds? Because we imagine it so. If we could imagine a lower condition better, 
as it has less worry and less accountability in it, it would be far more likely to be chosen. The water that springs out of the rock tastes as sweet as if it came out of a golden chalice. Things are as we imagine them. Ever since the fall, our desire is diseased. God saw that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Genesis 6 5. Desire looks through wrong spectacles. Pray that God will sanctify your desires. A lower condition would content if the mind and desires were set right. Diogenes preferred his cynical life before Alexander's royalty. He fancied his little cloister best. Fabricius, a poor man, despised the gold of King Pyrrhus. If we could cure diseased desires, we might soon conquer a discontented heart. Rule 14. Consider how little it takes to suffice our physical needs. The body is just a small continent and is easily replenished. Christ has taught us to pray for our daily bread. Nature is content with a little. Not to thirst, not to starve, is enough, said Gregory Nazianzen. Jerome said that meat and drink are a Christian's riches, and the apostle said, Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. The stomach is sooner filled than the eye. How quickly would we be content if we would study to satisfy our hunger rather than our whims? Rule 15. Believe the present condition is best for us. Flesh and blood are not competent judges. Overfed stomachs are for banqueting stuff, but a person who regards his health finds healthy food better. Vain people fancy such and such a condition best and would flourish in that situation, whereas wise Christians have their wills melted into God's will and think it best to be where He decides. God is wise. He knows whether we need food or medicine. If we could acquiesce in providence, the quarrel would soon be at an end. Oh, what a strange creature man would be if he were what he could wish himself to be! Be content to be at God's allowance. God knows which is the best pasture to put his sheep in. Sometimes a more barren ground does well, but a luxurious pasture may rot. Do I have that kind of cross? God shows me what the world is. He has no better way to wean me than by putting me to a stepmother. Does God limit my allowance? He's now putting me on a diet. Do I have losses? It is so that God may keep me from being lost. Every crosswind will, in the end, blow me to the right port. If we believe that the condition God has parceled out to us is the best, we would cheerfully submit and say, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Psalm 16, 6. Rule 16. Do not indulge the flesh too much. We have taken an oath in baptism to forsake the flesh. The flesh is a worse enemy than the devil. It is a self-deceiver. An enemy within is the worst. If there were no devil to tempt us, the flesh would be another eve to tempt us to the forbidden fruit. Do not give in to it. All our discontent stems from the fleshly part. The flesh sets us on the immoderate pursuit of the world. It advises ease and plenty. And if it is not satisfied, discontent begins to arise. Do not let it have the reins.
Martyr the flesh. In spiritual things, the flesh is a sluggard. In secular things, it is a horse leech crying, Give, give. The flesh is an enemy to suffering. It will sooner make a man a courtier than a martyr. Oh, keep it under. Put its neck under Christ's yoke. Stretch and nail it to his cross. Christians, never look for contentment in your spirit until there is confinement in your flesh. Rule 17. Meditate often on the glory that will be revealed. There are great things stored up in heaven. Though it is sad for the present time, let us be content that shortly it will be better. In just a little while we will be with Christ bathing ourselves in the fountain of love. We will never complain of needs and injuries any more. Our cross may be heavy, but one glimpse of Christ will make us forget all our former sorrows. Two things should give us contentment. One, God will make us able to bear our troubles. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Chrysostom said that God, like a lute player, will not let the strings of his lute be too slack lest it spoil the music of prayer and repentance, nor give too much adversity, lest the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. Isaiah 57, 16. And two, after we have suffered a while, we will be perfected in glory. 1 Peter 5, 10. The cross will be the ladder by which we will climb to heaven. Be content. The scene will change. Before long, God will turn our water into wine. The hope of this is enough to drive away all disorder from the heart. Blessed be God, it will be better. Here have we no continuing city. Hebrews 13:14. Therefore, our afflictions cannot continue. A wise man looks still to the end. The end of the just man is peace. Psalm 37:37. 37, 37. I think the smoothness of the end makes amends for the ruggedness of the way. Eternity, eternity! Think often of the kingdom prepared for us. David was advanced from the field to the throne. First he held his shepherd's staff, and shortly after he held the royal scepter. God's people may be put to hard service here, but God has chosen them to be kings, to sit on the throne with the Lord Jesus. This, being weighed in the balance of faith, would be an excellent means to bring the heart to contentment. And Rule 18. Pray often. The last rule for contentment is to spend much time in prayer. Beg God to work our hearts to this blessed state. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. James 5.13. So, is anyone discontented? Let him pray. Prayer gives release. The opening of a vein lets out bad blood. When the heart is filled with sorrow and anxiety, prayer lets out the bad blood. The key to a prayer, oiled with tears, unlocks the heart of all its discontent. Prayer is a holy spell or charm to drive away trouble. Prayer is the unburdening of the soul, the unloading of all our cares on God's breast, and this ushers in sweet contentment. When our spirits are burdened, we find our hearts eased and quieted by opening our mind to a friend. It's not our strong resolutions, but our strong requests to God that give the heart ease in trouble. By prayer, the strength of Christ comes into the soul, and where that is, 
we are able to go through any condition. Paul could be in every state content. But so that you may not think he was able to do this himself, he tells you that though he could be in need and abound and do all things, it was through Christ strengthening him. Philippians 4.13 It is the child who writes, but it is the teacher who guides his hand. Paul arrived at the hardest duty in religion, contentment, but the Spirit was his pilot and Christ was his strength, and this strength was ushered in by holy prayer. Prayer is a powerful orator. Prayer is an orator with God and an exorcist against sin. The best way is to pray down discontent. What Luther said of lust, I may say of discontent. Prayer is a sacred leech to suck out the venom and swelling of this passion. Prayer composes the heart and brings it into tune. Has God deprived you of many comforts? Bless God that He has left you the spirit of prayer.